0: Welcome to the Housing Innovation Alliance podcast. I'm Haley Baumeister, a marketing and BIS student at the University of Pittsburgh. In today's podcast, you'll hear from Dennis Steigerwald, president of the Housing Innovation Alliance, and Margaret Whelan, CEO of Whelan Advisory Capital Markets. We have a lot of great topics to cover, so let's jump right in. To kick things off, we asked Margaret to share her favorite quote.
1: Well, as you know, uh, diversity matters a lot to me, diversity of thought, generational diversity, gender, whatever it is, I don't really care. But my very favorite quote, which is from Thomas Schelling, who's an economist, is the one thing a person cannot do, no matter how rigorous his analysis or heroic his imagination, is to draw up a list of things that he would never have thought of. And I love this quote i read it and it was just such a light bulb moment because you know sometimes you go to a show you go to an event you sit next to someone you hear someone you speak and you are literally like man i in a hundred years i've never have thought of that it's brilliant it's hiding in plain sight as a solution and for me that's the benefit of diversity it's the idea sharing and i get so frustrated as a professional speaker going to these events looking out to these vast rooms of old white guys saying, no, you're wrong. It's nothing's going to change because I think it has to change. We have a negative value equation in housing where the consumer is expected to pay more ultimately of their, their net worth for a house that's not improving in user functionality the way, for example, your car is, the car you drive today versus 10 years ago, the phone you use today has improved dramatically. And so I'd love to see more diversity of thought
2: in our business. That's, that's great. Well, I appreciate that. And certainly going kind a of, we, 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 at the alliance certainly support that as well along those lines as you bring that diversity of thought into the industry what is your priority as an innovator
1: I- Priority from my business, we're certified as a WeBank, a women-owned firm. We are licensed with Finn and the SEC as an investment bank, which I'm very proud of because we're one of the only founder-led women-owned firms on Wall Street. And my priority is doing everything I do better versus bigger. I'm a big believer in just not always wanting to scale up and getting bigger, which is unusual for Wall Street people. Just serving my clients more efficiently, more effectively, my team, managing balance at home with my family and also giving back. I must spend 10 hours a week coaching young people, diverse candidates who are trying to get into our business, into investment banking, onto corporate boards. You know, I started my corporate board career about a decade ago, one of the youngest New York Stock Exchange female directors. And when I came off that board, I was happy because at the time I was the first and only woman, but I had two women replace me when I stepped down and I was proud of that. And so just helping other women or young people or people of color or immigrants, you know, just anyone who feels that they need an extra push, I can be a bit of a bully in that that respect.
2: All right. So you're a great champion to have in your corner for sure. So taking the, you know, kind of your favorite quote and your priority as an innovator and what you're doing through Whalen Advisory, what would your call to action be for the Alliance Network?
1: You know, I don't necessarily think you need a call to action. I've been a founding board member for the Alliance since, uh, how long is it? Five, six years now since George Casey Collin, George the man I could never say no to. It's just to keep doing what you're doing because I feel like you have so much positive momentum. I absolutely love the bus trips, getting out on a bus with a bunch of people, meeting people I wouldn't have met before, going into a factory with them that I could have had access to on my own, but going with those other people and hearing their perspectives is just absolutely fascinating, so valuable. I also feel like the casual events you're doing, the happy hours, the the meet and greet breakfast, that kind of thing. It's hard for a lot of people who are entrepreneurs who are very operating focused. They're not necessarily extroverts. It's not easy for them to show up at those events. But I love when when we do that. We all have name tags. We meet each other. It makes it so much easier for the next event. And often I find they'll be sitting in the front row at the next presentation I'm giving, which is really cute because then I can introduce them to people that are important to them. So I would say just keep up the good work, stay focused on the content and in particular the networking.
2: Well, that's fantastic. I'm glad to hear that kind of that spectrum of of different networking opportunities we're trying to create, whether they be kind of our Uh, I they're still very intimate at 250 it's like a large like a large wedding right uh at our at our you know our annual conferences all the way down to the 40 or 50 person adult field trip type scenario where we get out into the field and get to kick the tires and and on, on different projects and technology so love to hear that all right so two more quick questions are you a dog or a cat person
1: I am a hundred percent a dog person. In fact, I I prefer dogs to most people.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. All right.
1: My golden retriever is sitting under my feet.
2: Okay. All right. Yeah. Very nice. yeah we we just got a uh, we just got a golden doodle. Um, oh, how fun! Thanksgiving. So They're amazing.
1: Um, full we, size or middle or?
2: Yeah, we thought he was going to be smaller. He's turning out to be full size. <laughs> so he's <laughs> rounding out about fifty pounds five months in. So we'll. <laughs> I'm sure he's well, got yeah. another 20 to go and then we'll figure out if you will be bigger than the kids for a little while. Yeah? Yes,
1: exactly. We got this beautiful pandemic puppy. Her name is Orla, which means it's an Irish word, means golden princess. And she's golden and she's a princess. Beautiful. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Love it.
0: Great insight from Margaret on the diversity of thought. Up next, Dennis and Margaret talk about the recent International Builders show, including their key takeaways and predictions.
2: What was the feeling you had as you came out of the, the Builder Show this year?
1: Definitely more optimistic than I had expected. We spoke at a couple of events in mid-November, right ahead of the holiday season, and folks were very taken aback, I guess, by the rate of which rates, mortgage rates had gone up very quickly. It was a sharp increase overall, a big impact to housing affordability, and the fact that we may just slow down for a couple of years. And that was through mid-November. But by early January, what we were hearing is that sales momentum had really picked up despite higher rates. Builders know how to sell. You know, they're, they're used to cyclicality in the business. They're able to buy down mortgage rates. They're able to offer price discounts or encouragement, motivation for consumers to get into the backlog or if they're in the backlog to stay in it. And so all of those sales initiatives were being received successfully. And even yesterday I was in Tampa with some of the local builders. And Tampa is a very strong housing market. A lot of new families moving there because of strong jobs growth and high income job growth. But several of the builders I met with over the course of the day said that their traffic at the sales centers in the last six weeks was higher year over year, which was fascinating, and that the conversion rate was even higher, meaning these are very serious buyers. So that I would say the positive tone was coming out of IBS and we were delighted to see
2: it. Yeah, it, it seems to me in a lot of the conversation that we were having that there's there's kind of two components of the mortgage rate increase, right? So there's a mental component and there's a mathematics component. So can I truly afford it? And can I overcome the fact fact that I've been used to these suppressed rates for such a long period of time. And I I think we're all coming to terms with the fact that that interest rate environment is gone and it's made Mm -hmm. return and where we are at now is the fact that you know a five to six and a half percent rate is is a healthy rate ideally we can get it down but we're going to have to make the moves we want to make and and wait if we delay it we're going to be delaying it not for for years not months waiting for those rates to kind of drop back off
1: i think with the with the strong employment backdrop not just the number of jobs being created the less unemployment than people anticipated but also the fact that the inflation is helping income growth that consumer are feeling strong. And so, yes, it's a higher rate, but ultimately they get to shop a little bit. Buying a a home is a very big emotional decision. And for all of us in the industry, coming out of COVID, housing was just so in demand and there was so much frenzy trying to supply homes and the buyers had to take what was available. Now they can actually hide a little bit and I think that feels good.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, you get to have a little bit more breathing room in the process, right? And everything doesn't feel so rushed. You know, one of the things that we talked about, you know, as mentioned in your post, we talked a little bit in the beginning of the call here, was kind of your take on innovation that was happening at the Builder's Show. A lot more in the prefabrication offsite space. I think that that's starting to get a louder and louder message across, a lot more awareness there. But can you just share a little bit from your perspective on what you see happening or what you observed at the Builder's Show within context of offsite construction, perhaps a broader story around innovation?
1: Yeah, I mean, what happens when you have a slowdown is it really magnifies the opportunity for change and positive change in the business. And so we started to see that last year after two years of high demand. And I think already the industry had accelerated the use and the adoption of technology because necessity breeds invention. And with COVID and labor constraints and supply chain delays, we just had to figure out some new solutions. So what was very exciting to see at the show was not just the components and the structure components. We heard a lot about that, but the fact that now they're being pre-cut for MEP, mechanical electrical plumbing, to come right in behind them. So you're delivering a very precise framing system, very little room for error, MEP comes in behind it. And in some cases, we are also seeing structured insulation panel steps coming with the frame. And so I feel like the stick builders are doing everything they can to have more offsite components and more value-add components that they can bring to the job site. We also met with several of the providers of those components and that value-add, and it's being very well received by the builder customers. And I think that regardless of where the housing, the retail demand goes right now, we also have this built to business percolating, which is very simple, standardized houses that are often built on a even flow basis. And that the lack of complexity in the design of those houses, so because they're being built ultimately for a long-term investor to own and to manage. Uh, they have less options, less upgrades, less elevation. So they're much simpler to build. And I think that was in part the reason for so much confidence in some of the new factories that are being built for offsite solutions, which was great to see.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And I want to, I definitely want to come back to the built to rent segment, but I want to highlight on the, on the innovation side, one of the things that, that I was excited to see at the show is that the NHB seems to have really invested in giving early stage companies an opportunity to showcase these solutions. You know, the startup zone which was introduced last year in Orlando, had a much more prominent location this year in the show amongst some legacy and established players. So the traffic count I think was quite high. And they gave them an opportunity to have a pitch contest in one of their jam session formats, which I think is a great way to showcase, again, these companies and give them a, a much lower barrier to entry to get into the show. And then, you know, you saw many of the companies from last year take up a much larger presence like the group from HIARC, who had a, you know, a very impressive booth that was telling a fantastic story around the digital capabilities they're trying to bring. The business. So I, I think for me, the NHB embracing that for the show and for their attendees, I think is a great story because two thirds of the homes are still built by builders mm-hmm. that are building much, you know, less than a hundred units a year. And and it's a great way to introduce them to solutions that could be attainable for them and accessible to them as well. So I think that it's a great storyline. And you know prefabrication, new HVAC technologies, operations and processes, all these all these systems and solutions that they're showcasing, I think is super beneficial.
1: I agree with you, Dennis. I think the NHB is- is really doing a nice job. But I also think the Alliance and your team is doing a great job of facilitating all of the introductions and the communications. Because what we see with a lot of the new entrants is the teams are young, they're short on funds. It's a big investment for them to get to Vegas or Orlando and put up a booth like that. And it's great that it can be such an efficient use of their time and through the Alliance, they get to meet investors, strategic partners, clients, customers, material suppliers. And so it really, you come out of that with, uh, with so many business cards and so many leads, which makes it very productive.
2: Yeah, no it it's a, yeah, certainly it was a great opportunity to see all those new members that we hadn't had a chance to connect with in person all all at mm-hmm. one time I think, you know, when you have over almost 200,000 people across the five concurrent shows. It's uh, it's really an, imp- an impressive demonstration of the interest and the time now available to explore these new ideas and concepts. And then, you know, the conversations around how do we actually implement what are the right partnerships? Kind of going back to what you were mentioning about your involvement in the Build end Rent space. So this obviously, this was headline grabbing for the last two years. It, it seems to have quieted down a little bit, at least from the press perspective. Kind of curious, what are you seeing from a business activity standpoint? Is there still a mm-hmm. lot of capital? available? Are there deals being done? What's, if they're not happening, why are they not
1: happening? So in terms of supply and demand, the demand is absolutely there. I think the consumer is shifting from multifamily to single family rentals. For decades, we've been building hundreds of thousands of new, brand new, professionally managed multifamily apartments and homes for families, but not single family. So I think the shift that we're seeing on the demand side is coming from the consumer. I think it's strong and I think it's going to be persistent. There's no doubt in my mind that single family is going to continue to take market share from multifamily because the attributes of those single family homes are so attractive. On the supply side, as you know, we're a boutique investment bank. We raise capital for a lot of these providers and we have done for years because we were doing SFR before SFR morphed into uh, to build to rent. The capital is there. The demand is there. So with capital, you have supply. I think the challenge is the sharp increase in interest rates last year not only hit the consumer's pocket from a mortgage and affordability perspective, also the cost of capital and the cap rates for those long-term cash-flowing assets. And in some cases, it got prohibitive and some of the projects went on hold. I'm kind of encouraged by it because I feel like there was a lot of what I refer to as tourists coming into the space, thinking it was easy. They're going to entitle land, develop land, spec houses, build houses, rent them out and manage them. I'm like, what could go wrong, right? And so I think a lot of the tourists have gone to the sidelines, which is good, but the real operators are still there and it allows some of our home builder clients to shift the mix of their product from 100 retail to doing some rental as well which from an even flow perspective and an offsite solutions perspective makes a lot of sense yeah i mean
2: that's that's the, the general message we have is you know as as the market started to soften a bit we've had a lot more builders that were you know let's say casually entertaining and exploring build to rent get much more involved right and i think you know and you see a lot of that also happening more on the high performance side so builders that were were delivering a more energy efficient product Mm -hmm. funds that were specifically directed into them as an example we've seen we've seen a lot of that activity within the network so that that's interesting do you want to share any thoughts on kind of your out what your outlook for the year is and uh, maybe in context of that provide us with what are the metrics and market movements you're going to be tracking throughout the year?
1: In terms of the market, you know, we're we're a cyclical industry, but we don't have to let the cycle own us. We can own the cycle. And so you don't want to waste a good slowdown try to find opportunities, ways to improve the business, get buy-in from the top down. What we specialize in M&A, representing owners and founders want to sell, often they have a unique business model or type of product or presence in the market that's attractive to a Big company, and rather than have that big company pay dump tax, they'll buy one of the companies that we're working on. And so I think what I would love to see is more initiative from the leaders, the boards, down to executive management, and really thinking around the corner for our industry. Because I don't think that we have a labor challenge in our industry as much as we have a lack of process challenge. And that creates so much improvisation and, and rework on the job sites. I also going out all the time, literally, if few days a week to job sites and seeing these big dumpsters with all the material sitting in front. I wish we could motivate the framers by not paying them per yard, because in paying them per yard, you get so much waste. In fact, the National Framing Council estimates 30% of the materials that are purchased for the house, and that's half the cost to the house is in that dumpster that consumers paying for that. So if we could eliminate the waste and eliminate the improvisation, both of which are easy solutions to address with an offsite presence, then I think that builders would have higher margins, they'd have better returns on capital, and consumers would have more homes to choose from. Okay,
2: great. Are there, so in context of that outlook, are there going to be any specific metrics you you're keeping an eye on over the course of the next several months, quarters to, to track progress of, of the market? Maybe some non-traditional numbers, if you will, or indicators?
1: Well, the thing about it is that you have you have supply and you have demand. So everyone's talking about rates and confidence and jobs, whatever. There's, a, there's an underlying amount of demand that's important. I think we cannot build houses if we don't have finished lots. So VDLs, vacant developed lots is really important. It's at an all-time low in almost every top MSA in every top city in the country. So it's leading indicator. If we don't have dirt and finished dirt, then we can't start have this. So something like that is what I would focus on as much as anything else. I also think the trends, the number of people leaving the big cities, as John Burns always says, the U-Haul trucks <laughs> You know, it's it's one way from New York to Florida, or from San Francisco to Utah. And some of these places that hasn't changed at all, and I think it's going to continue.
2: Yeah, no, those those are ex- excellent, excellent points. Well, thank you so much for sharing those opinions. These have been these have all been great. I I you hit everything on my list. Is there anything else you would like to leave like to share with our audience?
1: Just that I'm I'm grateful to be a part of it. I appreciate it. I learn a lot from the alliance. Thank you.
2: Yeah, well, thank you for contributing as much. And as you said, yes, in 2017 we were no longer the best practice. Research Alliance. We became the Housing Innovation Alliance. And George Casey stepped in and helped Michael Dickens and, and Betsy Scott assemble an entirely new board. And we appreciate you being a part of that ever since. And I'm glad to get to know you and, and work alongside you since 2019 when I joined. I can't believe it's already been that long, right? I,
1: and then- I was gonna say, same, yeah, likewise. So 2017, and then I think McKinsey Institute came out with the paths to productivity late 17, early 18. And that really elevated the, the amount of conversations around the opportunity that. That could be addressed and from an investor perspective the returns that could be realized because there's not a lot of industries that are in the bottom of that fourth quartile <laughs> so instead of complaining about it let's find a way to make some money on it
2: yeah no no certainly i think it, that mckinsey report raised awareness on, in a very global way and it's and it's attracted a lot of attention in areas of investment opportunity and i think that that now now that the, the key to that is taking that and making it actionable right mm-hmm. Yeah, what We're doing what teams like you're doing, bringing people together, formalizing the right partnerships so we can execute towards closing the gaps were are identified in these reports.
1: Yeah. And just bite size, you know, small positive changes, getting buy-in from the board, partnering sometimes with a strategic relationship, whether to supplier or a customer, making sure you don't run out of money, the, the real one-on-one blocking and tackling basics.
2: Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's about being, you have to go all in on those commitments, but those commitments don't always, they, they can be incremental wins, right?
0: Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. For- for listening to the Housing Innovation Alliance podcast. Do you have a story to share? Reach out to us and we'd love to hear from you.